for the rest of the month during OctoSR, I'm going to try to do deal with uh, call-ins on Mondays. I uh, got a call today from uh, on this episode from from Hi- Joe of Hindsightless Podcast about critical hits from a couple of episodes back, and a couple of calls from Kevin of the Red Cats Podcast and Jason of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast talking about rulings over rules. Yo, Phantom. Okay, let's talk criticals. Um, so first off, with Pathfinder Two and Pathfinder. Uh, in Pathfinder, your critical range is based on a combination of your weapon, feats, and sometimes magical properties for weapons. Though normally the feats and the magical properties for weapons don't stack. Um, it doesn't really depend on your level. You get more attacks per round as you level up, uh, but your your critical range is based on your equipment and your feats. And... In Pathfinder 2, you get a critical hit if you beat the opponent's armor class by 10. And you get a critical fumble if you miss the opponent's armor class by 10. And that 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 changes things. That changes things a lot. Uh, if you're going up against something that's way more powerful than you, it's going to crit you routinely. Not just 5% of the time. It's going to routinely crit you. And yeah, so it makes higher level monsters more dangerous. It makes lower level monsters less dangerous. It's it's an interesting way they do it. Um, and then, yeah, like, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think crits happen all that much. Because over the course of the adventure, players are rolling more often than monsters. Monsters are one and done. Players keep going. The characters keep going. So over the course of the adventure, the characters are going to do more rolling than the monsters. So it, it balances out. And also, the thing about probabilities is they're not a guarantee. Just because something has a 5% chance of happening, it might not happen for a thousand times in a row. That's how probabilities work. It's a 5% chance every time you roll the dice. So just because you roll a dice 10 times doesn't mean the critical is going to pop up. You know, you could roll it a million times and it might never pop up. You might roll the same number every single time. Uh, And that's the thing with probability and statistics. They aren't facts, right? They're just they're just probability. It's probable this will happen 5% of the time, but not guaranteed so, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I, I don't have any beef with crits, but then again, crits are in the game that I play the most, Pathfinder, so I, I'm, I'm super used to crits. I just, I don't think they're a big deal. Jason was asking, you know, if, if this is a problem at the table, and no, I've never experienced it. I mean, the players, when I'm rolling crits, they'll be like, ah, oh, stop rolling crits, but then when they're rolling crits, they're like, yeah, eat that crit. So I, I see them as a benefit to the table it it does add some fun and excitement it's not like people are like losing their minds unless every now and then you'll see it right like one of the i remember my buddy 
critting on this crazy saving throw he had to make and rolling a nat 20 automatic success and it basically saved the whole goddamn day and it was awesome and that was years ago and we still talk about that time so yeah they they do lead to those kind of things anyway but again they're not for every single game right um but yeah that's just my thoughts on crits peace out thanks for the call there joe uh those are some very good points I don't know that much about the Pathfinder system. That's interesting that a difference in power level can lead to more crits, less crits. I think that's that's very interesting. That does keep, you know, the mob of goblins from getting just getting lucky and taking out the tenth level, twelfth level fighter. Uh you know, and it makes a dragon be a dragon. And, you know, that's that seems appropriate. It seems appropriate that if you're fighting out of your weight class, so to speak, there's a better chance for your opponent to land that haymaker that ends things. And as far as over the course of adventure, yes, characters, especially, you know, depending on the length of the adventure, if they level up several times, they gain the, they could gain the ability to, to get in more swings. I know in fifth edition D and D the fighter gets the X, the extra attack first, their first extra attack at fifth level. And at second level, they've gotten an action surge, which enables them to take an extra action, which could include an attack action. So at fifth level, they could get, during a round, they could get four attacks in. And, you know, that's four swing, four swings of the sword or the axe or whatever weapon, weapon they're, they're utilizing. So, you know, having relative power level in a game, that puts a different flavor on crits. Having the extra attacks that a lot of character classes can gain in a, in a lot of the more D&D-like games, that gives them an opportunity. So it does kind of level the playing field if for when they, they're facing mobs of creatures here and there versus the occasional one really powerful monster. But I think those, you know, having a, a variety of encounters where if you're facing one powerful monster that may have fewer attacks in the party but multiple attacks versus a uh, just a lot of creatures that are going to be rolling a lot of dice. I think it does over the course of an adventure, certainly even out the opportunities and the, the point to probabilities. That's, that's a very good point. Uh, sometimes it seems like you can go forever without rolling a 20. And then all of a sudden you get several in the same combat or at least within the same session. And that's a different flavor from say, the, the Space Kings game, game that we were talking about a few episodes ago where you're using a deck of cards and one of the cards is a crit card. Well, that's a 1 in 54 chance. And it's going to be a 1 in 54 chance every time around. Eventually, you're going to get it. If you draw 53 times from your deck and you've got one card left and you haven't drawn the crit, guess what? That card's the crit. So that's that's some really good stuff. It's interesting. I think crits are an interesting part of the game. And it's interesting to see how different systems utilize them. Uh, there are systems that don't have what they call crits, I know, but they have exploding dice, which are essentially the same thing, where you roll the highest number on the die and you get to roll it again. If you roll the highest number on the die again, you get to roll it again. Of course, the probabilities of that are much less, probably, than the than the standard 5%. But uh, I do believe that over the course of time, Crits don't really work 
against a party. They may work for them, depending on the opponents they're up against. They may work a little bit against them in a given combat or given session. But overall, I think it's just something that adds flavor. And if you if you go down the Pathfinder route and lean into it just to represent an increase in power level and the extra threat that a more powerful creature has, I think that's that's a very interesting use of it. That's something I have to look at. Thank you for, again. Thank you for calling. It's interesting that both you and Taylor decided to do rulings over rules as day one. I agree with you. Rulings over rules is definitely, if you look at OSR as a play style and not as a group of games, and, and both views are totally valid, then it's definitely a super foundational part of this. And the key is what you said on your show. It, it's a, it's not inconsistent. I think the the people, the reason a lot of people fight against rulings over rules is they think, well, the GM is just going to make it up as they go. And it's going to be different each time. You know, today when I jump over this um, ravine, it's going to be a strength check. And tomorrow when I jump over the ravine, it's going to be a dex check. And it's not consistent. It's not fair because I, the player, don't know the rules. But that's not the case because like you say, or shouldn't be the case because like you say, it's consistent. So once you're going to adjust the rules and do things what work for you and the players with that thing that you guys work up together and then you're going to apply those same rules down the road. So a good dungeon master is going to be writing down these things, you know, these rulings as they go. And then you'll apply those rulings in the future because that's what works for your game and that, you know, that you guys are playing. So, no, great first episode. Look forward to your next one. It's Kevin Collier from the Red Caps Podcast. I apologize for any background noise. I'm out for a walk right now. Um, but glad to hear OSR October episode one from you. Uh, rulings, not rules. Definitely an important pillar of the OSR. Um, and yeah, I really kind of agree with everything you said in the episode. I think uh, an interesting side topic to uh, rulings, not rules, is um, rules light versus procedure heavy and where that fits in. Um, I had recently had a discussion with somebody on Reddit, where I kind of discounted that idea that you could be rules light but also procedure heavy. Um, it felt kind of like a contradiction in terms to me. But I'd be very interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. Can you have a rules light game that is very heavy on its procedures? Uh, just a general question. Anyhow, great. Love the episode. Talk to you soon. Take care. Can you have a rules light game that's not procedure heavy? That's, that's an interesting question. Uh, it's one I haven't given much much thought to but in thinking about it you probably could if you adopted you know the the way that the rpg zeitgeist has kind of pushed towards a a one dice mechanic a or one dice system mechanic where people you know everything's going to be resolved using d6s everything's going to be resolved using a d20 or 2d20 or percentile dice if you if you used that format and created just sort of a simple a simple way of doing it, I think maybe following the way that solo oracles work, where you get a result that's like a yes or no or yes and or no and or yes but or no but, where you can have a little nuance in there, you can have success or failure, you can have success and something more that benefits you. 
you can have a failure and something that makes the situation even worse, or the yes, but, and no, but, where you have a success, but there's a trade-off, or there's a no, but there's a positive side to it. You could do something like that and just have a a six-sided dice, or maybe a ten-sided dice, where you sort of have the, the chart weighted as a as a game master, and when you come to a situation that requires a die roll, you roll on that you roll on one of those charts, either where it's straight up one through six, or where you have a weighted where maybe the yes and and the no and extreme ends are just one, and the the rest is split up where it's more likely just to get a yes or no, but you still have a chance to get the other results. Now that's going to result in a a pretty random way of playing, and it may end up in some of those situations that Jason talked about that the players worry about sometimes where it's not consistent, where, okay, I performed this same action, but got a different result. And that, but that in that case, it would be because of the dice and not because the dungeon, the game master forgot what they were doing, what they did before, or just is, are deciding on the fly. Now, of course, that's another option. If you go rules light, procedure light, you're just deciding on the option. You're trying to use essentially common sense or at least common sense based on your understanding of the world and that could work if you have but that's going to be kind of a a lore heavy rules heavy setting so you have a you have a lore you have the way the world works the way the gods work the way the elements work and so the players have some predictability based on their knowledge of the world and that's something they could discover as they adventure uh of course, the other option is if you go with what Jason talked about in his call, where you write down the decisions you make as you make them. So you're making these decisions based on what fits the circumstances, whether it's based on the world or just those specific circumstances, and you're writing them down. But in that situation, your rules light game is eventually going to become rules heavy as you run into more different time types of circumstances. Now, will it result in as rules heavy as a rule set that tries to anticipate everything? Maybe, maybe not. A lot of it's going to depend on what what kind of unusual circumstances the the characters find themselves in. But yeah, I do think that on the whole, you either have a system or systems to adjudicate things if you don't have a specific rule for everything. And then, and then do you go with a very generic system like I was talking about earlier, or do you adjust that system a lot for the circumstances? But again, in that situation, you got to keep track of what you did before if you want the consistency. Now, if the, the world in question is maybe, I don't know, a uh, Looney Tunes type of world, where people are pulling anvils out of their sleeves and stuff, then maybe consistency doesn't matter because you're you're going for a little more chaotic, you're going for a little more madcap. So the, the flavor of the adventure you're seeking to have will also matter. But it's a very interesting question. How at some point you're either going to have to live with inconsistency or you're going to have to have a lot of set in stone rules or of complex procedure or uh, 
you know, just adding more and more lore to your world in the matter of, you know, what's taking the place in your world of physics, what's taking the place in your world of chemistry. How do those things work and adjudicate? Because eventually, if you if you adventure hard enough, you find yourself in a, just a whole manner of situations. Now, if it's a if it's a more focused system you're working on, if it's based on you know the politics at court, and you very rarely go outside that realm of personal interactions, or if it's you know, more strictly a a straight out dungeon crawl where you're just killing monsters and taking their stuff. If you're keeping it simpler and you're not exploring different aspects of, you know, what we call the human condition, I guess it would be the the demi human condition in some circumstances. <laughs> or, you know, if you're going not going to be, you know, you're going to travel and you're going to explore and you're going to then you're going to do diplomacy or negotiate or trade. And then you're going to fight in a dungeon. And then you're going to fight a duel. And then you're going to fight with an army. Eventually, you're going to have to have a lot of something. Procedures, lore, rules, or a mix of the bunch. But it, it, it is an interesting question. And I think... You know, bottom line, again, it comes to what works at your table and and what leads to the most satisfaction and enjoyment for the, the people you're gaming with. Thanks for the calls, guys. And that's going to do it for another episode of Phantom Thoughts. If you have any feedback you'd like to leave, you can contact me by leaving a voice message at anchor.fm slash the dash pink dash phantom or you can send an email to thepinkphantom1 at gmail.com or you can contact me on twitter at thepinkphantom the music in this episode was strength of the titans and late night radio by kevin mcleod at incompetech.com licensed under creative commons by attribution 4.0 license from creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0